the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. From Talk 910 KNEW San Francisco, this is Rob Black. Rob talks about your money every weekday, live and local, from 10 to noon. Enjoy the show. Live from the Bay Area, your money, your life. This is Rob Black. The sky, it is not falling on Wall Street. Not yet, it's not. We're not having the best day. But we're not having the worst day. In fact, we've had a great seven months. So we have some of these triple-digit down days on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Home sales rose 9.4% in the month of September. And a lot of people woke up on Wall Street and said, whoa, it's going to be a good time. Good times. Didn't quite play out like that. So good news is hit with some selling, some profit-taking. I would love it if the stock market would go down 10%. Kind of take some steam off. Kind of relax, take a break. Nasdaq's down 11 today, S&P 500's down 14. I would love it if we ended right here for the year. I think that would be a victory for the year. So the sky's not falling. I'm not going to go into the chicken little angle yet. I'm going to watch this correction. I'm going to hope it plays out, but I'm not going to go into the chicken little angle quite yet. The S&P 500 gained yesterday, showed a little bit of strength this morning. Now it's getting a little bit weaker. For the week, it's up one half of 1%. Microsoft is the big headline of stocks this morning. They topped expectations by $0.08. Cents. They glided revenue estimates a little bit higher. Revenue of $12.9 billion. Can you imagine that? They made $12.9 billion in sales in the last 90 days. Down 14% year over year. Stock opened up higher. Amazon, they beat earnings expectations. They crushed them by $0.12. Cents, and they guided fourth quarter revenue above expectations. Stock's trading up 15% today, hitting an all-time high. Other standouts? Capital One. What's important about that? Keep in mind, earnings are totally managed. A company like Capital One, they beat earnings by 80 freaking fracking cents. It's stunning. Capital One's a credit card company. What do you know about credit cards right now? What do you know about the consumer? Default rates are as high as 10% at credit card companies. Some could go as high as 20%, they're thinking. That's a stunning number. Now, keep in mind, it's managed. How do I say that? Well, they could say, let's move some earnings or let's move some of our revenue into loss, loss, you know, uh, loss reserve. And let's not put it in earnings quite yet. Or let's take it out of loss reserves and put it into earnings. It's totally managed, but it's still a damn good number. Western Digital up beats earnings by 31 cents. Chubb by 29 cents. Fortune Brands, who makes booze, beat earnings by 16 cents. American Express, who lends money to small businesses and businesses, beats by six cents. That's a pretty diverse cut. Microsoft, Amazon, uh, you get software, you get you know consumer, you get uh, hardware on the computer with Western Digital, you get Fortune Brands, booze. Everyone's doing it. Everyone's beating the hell out of earnings. Oil's back to $81 a barrel. That's important to note. You don't want oil at $20 a barrel. And you don't want oil at $150 a barrel. And when it moves from 60 to 80, it's probably telling you there's a little bit of economic strength there. 
Now, it may not be. We know that a couple of years ago, big hedge funds jacked up the price of oil, and everyone had to get it. So a lot, too much money went into buying contracts of oil. Artificially pushed up the price. Now, big institutional investors are pushing up the price of oil again. So says the media. Gasoline prices are higher as well. A barrel of crude oil sells for about $81, $82. That's a high for the year. Now, the country's got plenty of oil, and demand remains weak, but the prices keep rising. How do we know the demand remains weak? Because we see the, the supply building in the, in the chain. You can see it with what are called oil refiners, and their stocks are blasted because we're not driving as much. They need the volume of the driver, not just the price of the oil. Now, gas prices are climbing. National average for gas right now. Give you a second to guess what it is. I paid three fifty, three forty today. National average is two sixty two. Now California's got peculiar dynamics in our price of gasoline. Prices are holding pretty steady right around three, but that could change. Analysts blame the oil run up on investors fleeing the falling U.S. dollar and searching for safer places to put their money. Now I got an email yesterday from a person who wanted to ask about their 85-year-old mother. Mom's advisor wants her to put money in gold. Now, keep in mind, oil's gold has run up for eight years. It's probably more of a sideways play than a uh, gush-on-the-upside play, unless the dollar collapses. The dollar hasn't collapsed. The dollar's been here in the 1980s, then it got strong, and then it got weak in the 2000s. Now, in recent years, the dollar's travails has become one of the more main driving forces in the oil market because oil is a commodity. You buy a barrel of oil, it's a barrel of oil tomorrow. You buy an ounce of gold, it's an ounce of gold tomorrow. You buy a bushel of wheat, it's a bushel of wheat. It's, a, it's, it's fixed, right? You know what it is. Now, if your dollar goes down in value, you can buy more of that. Well, actually, you can buy less of it, but in that case, that's one of the reasons oil's doing so well. The dollar's travails have become one of the world's big, 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 big forces in oil and all other commodities, helping push the price up even when demand is down. It's hard to justify these prices right now with the supply-demand imbalance. The United States is the world's largest user of petroleum. Petrol. We got 9% more oil in storage right now than we did last year at this time. So we got plenty of supply. Demand for gasoline has rebounded rising 3.4% versus last year's, but it remains well below two years ago in our demand for energy before the crisis in the financial markets hit. People keep saying, well, of course the market's going to correct itself. Of course there's too much oil in storage. The problem is the market can stay irrational for a long time. Oil should be lower. I would not be putting bets oil going higher right now. I'm not going to tell you to go put out oils lower, but I'm going to tell you the state's gas prices should be lower. And state gas prices this summer soared. California's refinery problems. At one point last month, Californians were paying 61 cents more per the national average. Are we going to meet in the middle? No. (laughs) Here's the problem with refineries. They kind of pollute the environment, and we don't want them. We want to put our refineries in Argentina. We want to put our refineries in Costa Rica. We want to put our refineries elsewhere. In Aruba, ruin their environment, bring it here, we'll drive around with it, right? A sustained oil market rally would inevitably cost California more because we have a broken system here. We don't have enough refineries here. 
and getting oil here is a bit of a problem. Now, oil prices retreat later this year. You know, for instance, it's easy to get oil from the Gulf, bloop, 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 right up the Mississippi, right over to Texas because it's on the Gulf and there's a lot of oil in the Gulf. It's easy to get oil from Saudi Arabia to the East Coast. We don't really have that luxury here. We're kind of far away from everybody. We don't bring enough of it in from Alaska to make it worth our trip, so to speak. A lot of the oil that's up in Canada is dirty. It's in the sands. You hear about light, sweet crude. Light, sweet crude is sweet because it's easier to refine. You don't have to spend as much money on it. So gasoline demand prices or gasoline demand up 3.4%. Oil up at $81, $82 a barrel. And yet we're driving a lot less than we did two years ago. We got plenty of it. It's a market that needs to correct. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. A couple of minutes, I'm going to be speaking with Dan Rusinowski of the San Jose Sharks. He's an ambassador for the game, in my opinion. I think he does a great job. Um, love hockey. It's the one few of my joys in this, on this planet. Now, weekend before Halloween. It's the weekend before Halloween. So are you going to go see a scary movie this weekend? Paranormal activity. It continues to double the number of theaters that's showing it. It's going to be a big movie this weekend. Saw 6. I know. Did you miss Saw 5, Saw 4, Saw 3, Saw 2, Saw 1? Little doubt. Little doubt that Saw 6 is not going to have a booming open. In fact, all the Saw movies have made over $30 million in their first weekend, except for the original Saw, but Saw 2, 3, 4, and 5 did. So... People are expecting Saw 6 to be a bit of a flop compared to the other movies. It's a franchise that's kind of run out of steam. You know, Friday the 13th with Jason. By the time 2 and 3 and 4, and then it kind of just lost steam and it went to Manhattan and it, it jumped the shark, so to speak. Saw 6, though, it's still going to be a big movie and it's still going to be a very profitable movie because it only cost $11 million to make. Let's go to Bill in San Jose. Bill? Hi, Robbie. Um, I'm interested in an investment in India, and I was kind of looking around, and I came across a mutual fund called the Matthews India Fund, yep. and um, I was just wondering your opinion. I should get some of the, the advisors from Matthews on the show because they are San Francisco-based. Matthews has a wonderful China fund, and they've got a wonderful India fund. They're a little bit more expensive than the typical American mutual fund in large part because – We have to pay their managers to go there and to study and to know about the currency and to know about the stocks and to know about the economy. This year, the Matthews Fund has gone from 10 bucks a share to about $15 a share. Um, I like it. There is nothing wrong with the Matthews India Fund. All right. Wonderful. So I would also, though, caution you. A couple more things you should do before you just blindly take that is you should probably go to ETFConnect.com and Fidelity and take a look at other competitive India funds because you don't want to just find the perfect fund. What you want to do is find the fund that works for you. For instance, you might find a Fidelity fund, a Fidelity India fund might, you know, get 8% returns, 8% returns, 8% per returns, 8% returns. And that's more of your style than maybe a Matthews that goes up big, down big, up big, down big. Now, you know, when you invest in, in India and China, it's going to be volatile. So do you have a stomach for volatility, Bill? Um, yeah, actually, I wouldn't mind that, you know, something as long as it turns up in the long term. Okay. So I think the long term, this is, you know, absolutely correctly the right place to be, India. Um, and again, inside the Matthews Fund, ticker symbol M-I-N-D-X, they got like Sipla um, and Yane Irrigation and Infosys and Darbur India and Bharti Airtel, companies that I would never, ever, ever know anything about. 
and they're traded on a uh, they're traded inside of uh, what's the best way of saying this traded inside of a, a stock market that I don't know the currency of. So I'm totally fine with this fund. It's a little bit on the expensive side, but I think it's a great fun bill. Thanks for the call. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. Some people say in the United States, when we get 10% overbought on our 200-day moving average, you kind of want to scale back on U.S. When we get 10% under our 200-day moving average, you kind of want to get into it. Now, India's going to have a bigger number, like 20% up and 20% down. But you don't want to own this fund till the day you die. I think you want to use it strategically to grow assets and then scale out. And then when things get cheap, you want to scale back in. 800-345-5639. Coming up, Dan Rusinowski from the San Jose Sharks. This is Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. I live, I breathe, I love money. Second thing I live, breathe, and love is hockey. I have since I was a young child. It's a great sport in person. It's a great sport in high definition. It's a great sport on radio. Let's bring in Dan Rusinowski, the voice of the San Jose Sharks. Dan, how are you today? Let's see if we got him. Can you hear me? Gotcha. So, life on the road. Da- to answer your question, I'm doing great. Oh, good. Life on the road. You've been on the road seven, eight days now. You're hitting great places. Washington, New York, Atlanta, Tampa, Philly. Hockey doesn't get played every day. Is is life on the road more of a vacation or is it business as usual? It is anything but vacation. I think that this is great fantasy that um, a National Hockey League team going on the road is just a, uh, a barrel full of laughs and uh, all kinds of good things. You visit all the sites. Uh, basically, the one thing that we get to enjoy most is a nice restaurant once in a while. And I, I like to uh, to keep track of that. I, I enjoy a nice glass of, of wine once in a while with dinner. And certainly, that's one of the great pleasures that we have. But uh, realistically, between practice and uh, being on the air and preparing for a broadcast, and everything else, you really don't have as much time as people might think. And I think that that's pretty similar to, to, to many business travelers. Okay. Do you form a relationship with the players or do, do, do they kind of exclude you from their fun? Oh, no. Uh, in fact, you, you, I think you really have to play it safe, for lack of a better way of putting it. Um, you're sort of a, uh, this, the country of Switzerland in a way, and that is you're the neutral territory by which uh, by a lot of things are negotiated. For instance, um, on the air, I, a coach of the team, say Todd McClellan, has to trust me enough to understand that he can talk to me about a player, for instance, and understand that what we've said is not going to go back to that player or anybody else on the team. Uh, by the same token, a player has to be able to, to, be able to trust me and and uh, complain about the coach if he wants to do that. And that happens in, in human nature and on the job. And so uh, he has to understand that I'm not going to go to the coach with that. And so that's, that's what I like to say. The broadcasting department is Switzerland. Will you become lifelong friends with some of these players, or does that not happen? Well, I think it happens. I, okay. I think the main thing that you have to understand is you have to um, approach it as a business. And you, you do become friends with people at work, just just, just like you do. Um, the, the one difference is you understand that, in some respects, they're in a different world than you are. Um, and that's something that you have to understand from the very, very beginning. The other thing you have to understand is that it's sort of a fleeting existence for some of these guys. They're with a team for a couple of years, and then they move on. And then they, you know, so you have to be prepared for that discipline 
disappointment that you personally have when a friend is traded or when a friend elects to go to another team as a, an unrestricted free agent or when he retires from the game. And you work your relationships around those things. You give them their space. You give them their time because they're in the midst of a team building and team bonding thing, and they're doing things that are very, very personal to them uh, as a group as well as individuals. And so you, you find your places as, as, as that what works through the year. And I, I think that that's the best way to describe the way the relationships work. You, you make lifelong friends for certain um, with not only the players and their families, which, which I think is really special when that happens. And, of course, most of the time with the players that have been with the club the long time, um, you know, you really get to know them well. And I think that that's really a, a great thing. Yet when we go on the road and a player is traded uh, and you recognize that person, for instance, uh, this coming road trip here, we're going to be in Philadelphia at the end of the trip on Sunday, and Matt Carl plays for the Philadelphia Flyers. Well, he started his career with the San Jose Sharks before he was traded, and it'll be great to, to revisit with him and to get acquainted. And, of course, it also gives you a, an issue of, of trust and openness in the other team's dressing room when the players and the Flyers see one of their teammates opening up to, to one of the other broadcasters. And so it, it gives you an in, really, with the other team as well. Let me bring on my wife unit, Shelly Black. Shelly Black, hockey enthusiast. I thought it would be a great segment putting Dan and Shelly together, kind of a meeting of the hockey mind. Shelly? Hi, Dan. Nice to talk to you again. Great to speak with you, Shelly. How are you? Very good. So not a great game yesterday, but I really enjoyed your broadcast with Jamie. Oh, thank you. It, you know, win or lose, it's it's uh, it's a thrill of my life to be able to call the play-by-play in the NHL. So, um, to me, it's it's as exciting. Win or lose, you of course like to see it call the win better, but um, but that's hockey. Certainly, you gave a star yesterday to Mike Smith, which is of course Tampa Bay's goalie. And I was thinking about on the other side of the ice with Nabby, the first and the third goals were the toughest on me. Did you feel the same? The third one especially, uh, that, that certainly was, was difficult. The first one was really an absolutely opportunistic, perfect play by the Lightning. And they were really perfect on that play. Uh, three players, the youngster uh, Wright, who got his first NHL goal to finish it off, was, was brilliant in getting things started with a good defensive play. That's often unnoticed. But then he put his head down and he got in front of the net while San Luis and LeCavalier did all their magic. And it was special to see it, um, albeit from a Sharks perspective, certainly a disappointing moment for San Jose because they were trying to get off to a good start in the game. And 30 seconds into the game, they were down one nothing, And that's not the way to get off to a good start. Right. These slow starts, are they, are they nerves? Are they just the players still getting to know each other? I think it's the latter to a certain degree, and I think also it's um, the development of an attitude within the San Jose Sharks that I think that Doug Wilson, the general manager of the team, wanted to change over the summer. It doesn't happen overnight or with the flick of a switch. People like Scott Nickel and Manny Malhotra uh, were brought into this team to, to get a little bit of a jam, some sandpaper into the lineup, and also um, a little extra gnarl. And I think that that coupled with working with new players and working together in new combinations, the addition of Danny Heatley, all of those things are having their upticks just like a stock market chart, but they also have their down ticks, and the volume sometimes uh, isn't as good on the exchange that particular day, maybe because the specialists went out to lunch. But I have to say that, uh, uh, that that's the way it works as teams build and develop. You'd rather have these issues in October than have them in April, and I think that that's the ultimate goal, to, to go through this together, to become stronger as a group, and to, to find out where the strengths and weaknesses of your hockey club are. 
Dan, you're so great. I love how you tie in the finance angle, too. And I also really enjoy your blog on the Sharks website, I have to say. Well, thanks. You know, I really enjoy writing. And, you know, what we do in many ways is we're telling a story every single night. So we're writing that story in a creative way. Uh, on the radio, we depend on our listeners' imagination to help finish that story. You take the basic building blocks that we give you with the words we select, the emotions we have, and the descriptions we provide, and you you enter your imagination into the equation. And for each individual, that picture is different. But that's what's really special to me is that that, that symbiotic nature of that. And uh, that that's what's a lot of fun. And the blog is very similar to that. It's it's, um, it's an opportunity to be creative, uh, to write about some uh, issues in hockey or, or about anything else that might be important and to work them all together. So I'm glad you noticed that. That's a lot of fun. It's great to go to the Sharks website and see that, and especially when they're on the road because it just helps you feel more more connected in general. I think your last posting you talked about the win it was after the islanders and you were talking about the emergence of our third and fourth lines and i was curious who your favorite player there is well i have to say that um, i'm developing a, a real likeness for a couple of the guys on the team it's really easy to like scott nickel because he's such a personality and has been around for a long time and he's sort of the uh, uh shall we say the underdog similar to ryan vesey on that team he's a guy that nobody ever thought would even play in the nhl and now he's got goals in three consecutive games and is looking as if he's comfortable at least for the time being playing with joe thornton and danny heatley um but i i, don't, I haven't developed a real favorite completely yet but each individual guy has has qualities that I really like. For instance, Jed Ortmeier is somebody that, um, for any Grateful Dead fans in San Francisco, you'd appreciate the fact that I call him Tennessee Jed because he played in Nashville and his name is Jed, and so that's a, that's a song on one of those Grateful Dead albums from so long ago. And um, it's funny because I was talking to him about it, and I said it's a perfect nickname for you here, and he said, you know, my brother-in-law or somebody that's related to him really likes the Grateful Dead, and he said that when I got when I left the, you know, Tennessee and I'm coming to San Jose, uh, he said, man, you must be really sad because it's, you know, we can't call you Tennessee Jed anymore. And I said, I said, you got to tell him, wait a minute, the Grateful Dead's first concert was in San Jose, so you better make sure that, that you tell him that, that, that he's still in. So, so he was all happy about that. That was funny. That fits great. So what do you expect we'll see in Atlanta tomorrow? Well, it's going to be interesting because it's the first of back-to-back games, and this is where um, the actual travel that we, you know, we started this conversation about with Rob takes its toll on the team. It's it's not normal behavior to be at your absolute peak at an athletic endeavor on a team basis 82 times a year, especially with the travel and the schedule that's involved. And this is really the beginnings of a very grueling part of the schedule for the Sharks. They've got a game in Atlanta tomorrow, and then they've got a game in Philadelphia against an always tough Flyers team on Sunday. Atlanta's a team that has a star in Ilya Kovalchuk, at least in terms of his skill, that can bury you any time and they're an improving hockey team, that's going to be a tough game coming off the loss in Tampa. Again, the road-weary legs, everything else. And then you get into the back-to-back situation. That can go for you or against you. It's really going to be tiring in the third period. And the Sharks don't currently have uh, any extra room on their bench to maybe rest anybody. The only exception to that's in goal where um, the decision's probably going to be made to play backup Thomas Grice in one of these two games, these back-to-back games. The question is, which 
which one. And I think the conventional wisdom with some people might be Atlanta because they're more of an up-and-coming team. The Flyers are an established club, tough to play in Philly, the tradition of what they used to call the Philly flu because people would get sick because they were afraid to play the Flyers in Philadelphia and so forth. Uh, I think it's going to be the exact opposite. I've got a funny feeling that the kid is going to get thrown in and maybe thrown to the Wolves to a certain extent on uh, on Sunday against the Flyers, but we're going to have to wait until tomorrow to, to really discover that when the coach's decisions made about the goaltending. Very exciting. So great talking to you, Dan. Thanks, Shelly. Shelly, let's show, let's show people how interesting of a couple we are. What do we? What plans do we got for Halloween? <laughs> We're still figuring out our costumes, Rob. There you go, um, Dan. You still there? Thanks very much, Dan, for joining me. I appreciate it. Good luck tomorrow in Atlanta. We'll check in with you next Friday. Shelly, we'll check in with you as well next Friday. Appreciate you coming on and helping me through that segment. It's the Rob Black Show, 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. What do you think about Shelly? Give me some feedback. 800-345-5639. What do you think about Dan? <laughs> Give me some feedback. He's a great ambassador for the sport. couple of you might remember a few months back, I had Joe Cannon, goaltender, keeper. Never call a goaltender a goalkeeper. Never call a goalkeeper a goaltender. Uh, keeper. <laughs> goalkeeper uh, for the San Jose Quakes. He was in studio, and it was pretty entertaining stuff. We talked a little MLS. We talked a little San Jose. We talked a little bit about his career. I'm going to bring him back next week, and I'm going to bring in Darren Huckerby. Huckerby came out of England, and he's one of the most successful strikers of all time. He's got this crazy English accent that I don't know if you'll be able to understand a word he says, uh, but he's fun. He's a good guy. I had drinks with both of them down in Palo Alto at Nola's not too long ago. That was a good time. Um, also, I'm going to be doing a show on sin. I was going to do a show on sin investing this week and then woke up and my computer wasn't working quite right. So I couldn't quite put it together. I wanted to put together a good show for you. Wasn't able to pull it off. One thing I do want to bring up, though, is there's moments in your life that are teachable. And I hope you saw that the correction of last year, the overcorrection, I hope you saw it was teachable. I hope you learned now's the time to be doing more investing when people are scared. If you watch your local media, your local television, you'll know exactly when to invest. When they're doing the story about the stock market hitting new highs and how great it is, that's not the time. When they're doing the story on should you cash out your 401k while it's a 201k? When the 201k jokes are out there, that's when you want to be a, a big-time buyer. You want to do the opposite, and it's tough to pull off. I know professionals in this industry who freak out. They get scared. It's regrettable because ultimately that's the last thing you want to do is ever, never get scared. Now, movie fans, it's the weekend. It's Friday. I know a lot of you are going to be going to the movies this weekend. And again, we've already talked a little bit. What's going to be the big movie, Paranormal Activity or Saw 6? Or will it be for a second week in a row where the wild things are? Now, these movies will eventually make their way into the DVD world, the DVD universe, so to speak. They'll make their way onto HBO and Cinemax. But first and foremost, DVD releases, some major studios are, are they're really tinkering on one hand, they want to release the DVD the same day it's in the theater when they're doing all their marketing. They want to get you just like that. Now they're starting to grapple with DVD declines, and they're considering a policy to make new releases initially available for purchase only. 
i.e. you won't be able to rent them. Hollywood may have that message of if you want to get, um, I'm trying to think of a big movie, Paranormal Activity. I'll say Paranormal Activity. Uh, If you want to see it when it comes out on DVD, you might have to wait two, three, four weeks before you can rent it. In an effort to push consumers towards buying more movies, some major film studios are considering a new policy that would block DVDs from being offered for rental until several weeks after they go on sale. The DVD releases would be available on a purchase-only basis for a few weeks, after which time the companies such as Blockbuster, Netflix, and Redbox, they would be allowed to rent the DVDs to consumers. Now, Reed Hastings... He's the big honcho over at Netflix. He revealed that he had discussed delayed rental proposals with several of his biggest suppliers. Netflix came out with a story last night when they reported their earnings because they legally have to tell us things. They're a publicly traded company, and that could adversely affect or help their business. It's one of the neat things about being a publicly traded company is you have to disclose material information. Now, the studios are wrestling with declines in DVD sales, while DVD rental market's been modestly growing. One of the mitigating steps right now are, you know, whether you introduce a DVD retail sales only window for a few weeks. So they've been hurt by the recession, obviously. Consumers are tapped out and they opt for the cheaper rentals. So I don't understand who buys movies anymore. I don't get it. Seems like that format's going to be changed. And, you know, we went from DVDs to Blu-ray. And no, your DVDs aren't useless anymore, but... You know, we did the VHS and we did the Laserdisc. And I just I don't have storage space in my head or storage space in my house for DVDs anymore. Anyway, Hollywood's concerned about Redbox is being heightening right now. Redbox, you probably know, is they're forcing the studios to sell them DVDs simultaneously with the competitors, and they're legally winning that. And with Redbox, they operate the kiosk that you see at like Safeway and Longs. It's a dollar per night, and a lot of people are you know just saying. I don't really need to own this movie. I can rent it for a dollar, be done with it, and return it the next day. I love Redbox. Um, I love Netflix. I got my Netflix, but also use the Redbox on occasion when I have that you know, demand for something instantaneously, when I want that instant gratification. 800-345-5639. I, ha- I can't produce phone calls. I don't know what it is today. I'm not stimulating enough. Maybe it's time for me to retire. Maybe it's time for me to go all away for the weekend. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I can't get the phone to ring. 800-345-5639. Now, Solil, they uh, are a big research house. They're talking about ExxonMobil today and Chevron, and they call them both buys. Jacques Rousseau, he's an analyst with, with Solil, which means son. Jacques Rousseau set a $90 price target on ExxonMobil which drew praise for its sizable capital spending budget of more than $20 billion this year. And ultimately, that's going to be good for their production growth, future production growth. Chevron's price target was set at $105 per share. Russo praised the company's improved upstream portfolio. We expect rising crude oil and natural gas production volumes and higher commodity prices to significantly increase Chevron's earnings and return on capital. I like Exxon. I don't own shares of Exxon, but I would own shares of Exxon. Right now, because trading is so cheap, I can flip in and out of Exxon or Total. Total does business in euros. I can go with Petrobras, which I own. Or I can go with Exxon, which is in American dollars. Exxon is $73 stock, and the analyst was basically calling it $90 plus. The one thing that I like about Exxon, no, no, I got more than one thing that I like about Exxon. They make billions of dollars. They earn billions of dollars. 
And we're not going to give up on our, our gasoline, our oil to you know fire up factories worldwide. We're not going to give up on it. So they're going to earn billions of dollars. What do they do with those billions of dollars? Well, in this case, they're going to go out and spend $20 billion a year to find more of it. So that's part of what they're doing with their billions of dollars. But what else do they do with it? They buy back shares. So they're regularly buying back shares, which stocks are made up of winners and losers. Stocks are made up of buyers and sellers. And they're regularly buying. So if you get shares, you kind of get Exxon helping you out because they continually buy. Now, again, they do business in dollars. That's not been a good thing recently. It's been maybe good on one level in the fact that their product is cheaper and foreign governments can you know buy their, their oil cheaper. But for you know the, the shareholder, it hasn't been necessarily a good thing. So if you you have to fall in one camp or the other, America's future is awful for the dollar or America's future is going to rebound for the dollar. So if you think we're going to rebound, you go with Exxon. If you think we're going to be weak for a while, you go with Petrobras or maybe go with Total. It's just a basic idea, basic investing lesson for you. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-345-5639. It's Rob Black Show, talking all things financial. 800-345-5639. Come on, someone, call. It's Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Let's get straight to phone calls. Let's go to Tristan in San Jose. Tristan? Hi, Rob. How are you? Hello? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, let's say I started listening to you uh, since April, and uh, uh, interesting show. I appreciate uh, that you're on. That's very kind um, of you. My, uh, my question is, I, ha- I work in uh, air conditioning. My company provides no 401k, and I'm wondering if there's one that I can get into uh, by myself. Um, no, but what you can do is probably do a SEP IRA. Um, so what IRA? I would do, yeah, Tristan, what you'll do is you'll do a SEP IRA, and what I would do is I would call Fidelity. And say exactly what you just said to me. My company doesn't do a 401k. I'd like to set up a SEP IRA. Now, you could highly suggest to your boss to do a 401k. They're incredibly cheap. and they're inc- I have. I have. They're incredibly helpful for employees because you can avoid taxable income. Right. So, yep, call Fidelity, 800-Fidelity, and set up a SEP IRA. And give me a call back after you do that, and I'll help you with some ideas. Let's go to Lou in San Jose. Lou? Hey, Rob. Good to talk to you. Good to be talked to. Um, pardon me? It's good to be talked to. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, um, some friends and I were having lunch the other month, and I think the day before there was a big lottery jackpot, you know, the Mega Millions? Yep. Um, and it was $333 million. There was one winner back in New York and one out here in California, and none of us hit it, by the way, so uh, we're not uh, millionaires. But uh, we were wondering, what do you do when you get that much money all at once? I think it was, you know, 165 mil each. And uh, I think the cash out was like 105, 110 million. Where do you put it? Where I, I know banks are only good for um, what 250,000 FDIC. Yep. But you know, if you want to keep it liquid, where you want to go out and write a check. Well, Lou, what you would do is, in this case, let's say you win millions and millions, you can set up an account at Fidelity, and they can. Fidelity's got relationships with hundreds of banks, and you could put the money in hundreds of banks. Um, so you would get the FDIC insurance on that. Okay. But, you know, well, then you'd have to have hundreds of checking accounts or something like that or, you know, be able to access it. Or then you'd get hundreds of statements every month, you know, about your bank account. Let's get to another phone call. Let's go to Robert in Santa Rosa. Robert? Robert? Yes. What's up? Robert, how are you? Good. 
Anyway, I was enjoying your hockey talk. Uh, you and your wife make a great couple when it comes to chat and hockey. But uh, I married up, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, was just thinking, too, that the, the sport of NASCAR would be a great sport to cover in terms of, especially as a barometer on business, because it's impact or it's more of an effect than a cause, but the effects it feels uh, from economic down as a result of sponsorship and yep. automotive dollars and things like that, if that's something you've ever thought of. Yeah, there's there's two shows that I've got in my head. One of them is The Sin Show, where there's a mutual fund called Vice X, V-I-C-E-X. And another one is a stock car show, because the sponsors of stock cars, obviously stock cars, NASCAR, wildly, wildly successful. Number one sport in the United States. Makes no sense to people who live in big cities, but everywhere else, wildly popular. Um, there's a mutual fund called Stock Cars Stock Index, S-C-A-R-X, S-C-A-R-X. And you could invest in, like, Kellogg's and ExxonMobil, the sponsors of stock cars. Or you could invest in, like, Infineon Technologies. And there's, there's different plays there. And there's also some racetracks that you are publicly traded as well, Robert. Oh, that's interesting. So, yeah, go, um, go Google uh, S-C-A-R-X, S-C-A-R-X, and it's a mutual fund tied towards it. And you'll learn a little bit more. So, And uh, let's see how it's doing for the year. And thanks for the call. Um for the year, it's up 20%. Market's up a lot more than that, so it's not doing great. In the last three years, it's down 6% on average each year. In the last five years, it's down 1%. So it's not it's not crazy. So it's, it is what it is. Let's go to another phone call, 800-345-5639. Let's go to Paul. Steve in San Francisco. Steve. Hey, Rob. What's up? How much? Hey, I'm... You were mentioning purchasing um, stocks at this point in time with the economy like it is. What about purchasing companies? You got that kind of money? I've got it. It requires financing, but yeah, enough to support some of the levels that I'm looking at. Yeah, there's a lot of people who are distressed and a lot of people retiring. What companies are you? What type of companies are you looking for to buy? Um, transportation. Transportation like trucking. Tr- trucking? Yeah, you yeah. want. I don't have much advice for you on that. Obviously, you'd want to get a business attorney to help value the company, maybe a CPA. And typically, you know, sell prices are typically one and a half times revenue. So if you got that kind of money, and absolutely, there's a lot of people are distressed. And with the economy being what it is, we're doing less transports. Today, for instance, railroad stocks are getting hit pretty aggressively. In theory, you would be able to value some of these trucking companies by looking at some of the publicly traded companies and seeing what their revenues are versus the company that you're looking to buy. So if you got that kind of money, not the worst thing in the world. Ruben in Mountain View. Ruben? Good to hear you. It's good to good be to heard. Hear some phone calls. Yeah. I was calling about uh, BP and why you hadn't mentioned it since it has a uh, low cost of discovery and a uh, pretty good dividend. Yeah, it does have a pretty good dividend. It's been a massive underperformer for such a long time. Um and it's a value right now. There's no doubt about it. If you have a diversified portfolio, I don't mind it. Um, I kind of got mad at the company because for four or five years there, when oil was rocking and rolling, it did nothing. So I just I've never found their execution to be all that 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 influential on me, Ruben. Okay. So well, good to hear from you. I have to go and recharge my pacemaker battery. I'm one of the old people to call. Do you really have a? Do you have to recharge it? Oh yeah, yeah, but it's okay. Keep keep the prep and energy up on your discussion. It's good to hear. <laughs> Thanks for the call. I appreciate that. Um, 
had a big sales meeting this week. And one of the things that I told the salespeople, you know, you have to describe your show in like 10 words or less. I was like, I hate old people. It's a show for young people who want to get towards retirement. Paul in San Francisco. Paul. Rob, what's uh, the prospects of some um, future inflation in the next five years? Uh, we have these deficits of $1.4 trillion in a very loose monetary policy. and Wouldn't that tend to uh, cause a lot of inflation? Only problem is inflation tends to be tied towards consumers of what we're aware of and what we're freaked out by. Um, wholesale, they've been absorbing the inflation pretty well and not passing it on to the consumers. And right now, there's 12% unemployment in California, maybe up to 18 to 20% unemployment. And we feel like we're kind of pushing the economy, not with the consumer, Paul, but with the government. So will we continue to spend trillions and trillions of dollars as a government, wait for the consumer to come back, wait for businesses to come back? I see it as a jobless recovery, Paul. And until we create jobs, I don't think we're going to create a lot of inflation. Okay, well... Thank you, Rob. Yep. Thanks for the call. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. Don in Oakland. Don? Hey, Rob. I uh, love your show, man. listen to it every chance I get. You're very kind uh, for saying that. Well, it's, it's uh, no, uh, in the world of, uh, in the world of like, masks, it's kind of nice that you don't wear one. Okay. Um, but uh, anyways, uh, like, I worked for a company that recently got bought out by another company, uh-huh. and I own stock in that company, and now I'm looking at my E-Trade statement, and it went up from, like, it wasn't much, I mean, you know, 2% um, of my annual, you know, like a stock purchase program. Okay. So I went from, like, 1000 bucks to, like, 8000 bucks. Good. Now I'm thinking, all right, what do I do with this? So you own shares of one company, and it's freaking you out because it's too much in one company? No, no. Um, I, I I got involved in an employee stock purchase program. Okay. And uh, I just it was just okay. Kind so of, you're you're wondering how to execute your stock options. Yeah. Okay. What I typically throw out there, Don, is um, if you have an accountant or someone who can look at your tax scenario, stock options are a little bit tricky because you can you can suddenly have to you know sell more of them to cover your tax liability that you've created for yourself. So. What I would do is work with someone who does taxes with you and figure out a good strategy. Some financial planners will help you execute. What company are we speaking of, Don? Well, um, What's the new company? I work, uh, <laughs> I work for Pro Systems. Okay. You know, Pro, and, and ran for president and all that good stuff. Yeah. I got bought out by Dell. Right. Um, so now you own lots of shares of Dell. Have they converted your Pro System shares? Well, they haven't. They haven't converted yet. But I'm looking at it like, okay, do I wait for them to get converted? Do I? I'm sitting on about ten grand, nice. and I kind of don't know what. Uh, half of me says just cash yeah. it out to a spending buy. You know, help help the economy by buying. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> uh, thanks for the call. I would work with an accountant to figure out your tax liability issue. Nothing wrong with HP shares in the future. It's Rob Black Show. I'll be back Monday morning. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.